a, a big exam. You know it's coming, but this is far, far worse. Far more grievous, infinitely more grievous. The journey, the, the conflict, the predictions, and the, the finality of the verdict where he is sentenced to death. That's where we left off last time. So the time has finally come. All that was predicted will certainly come to pass. Uh, several predictions. One of those was just a few chapters earlier in Mark 10, 33 to 34, where Jesus tells his followers, says, they will condemn him to death, speaking of himself. They'll deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And so now the time has come where these things will come to pass. And perhaps it's even far worse than they could have imagined. It's far worse than they understood. There are a lot of different responses that we see in the narrative uh, when it comes to the cross, when it comes to the the torture and the death of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, When the disciples uh, saw the cross coming, they responded in fear and just scattered. (laughs) They fled each uh, and every one of them. The guards, perhaps their response was some kind of sadistic pleasure in their, in their job. The religious leaders, they responded with a smug mockery. And then there were the, the women disciples who responded with unbearable grief. But what should be our response as we come to uh, think about the cross? When we think about the, uh, the last moments of Jesus' life as he He uh, willingly faced uh, death. What should be the overwhelming response to those who love and follow him? And I think it is gratitude. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. And how fitting that this falls on the weekend of Thanksgiving. All the things that were on your list of things that you're thankful for, all the things maybe you shared around the table or were we're posting on Facebook, or we're just mindful of this season. Topping that list should be, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. So if you're following along in the notes, our, our big idea, our essential truth is, is this. To let the beautiful horror of the cross overwhelm you with gratitude. Just thank you. Thank you for the cross. This morning, I, I don't have you know a lot of amusing stories or illustrations. We're just going to, to look at the cross, behold the events that lead up to uh, the death of Jesus and give thanks. Here's the setting. Jesus was uh, abandoned by his friends. <laughs> he was condemned by the religious court. He was condemned by Pilate and sentenced to death by crucifixion. So this morning we're just going to look at a, kind of a brief outline of these events. We're not going to read... Um, uh, every word of this, this section, but we'll look at a brief outline. And then we'll consider three reasons that reflecting on the cross should just overwhelm us with gratitude, should just uh, send waves of thanksgiving across our hearts and across our lips. And so our passage today is, is Mark chapter 15, 16 through, uh, verse 16 through the end of that chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some Bibles in the, in the pew in front of you, and on those pew Bibles, this is on page 582. Here's kind of the summary of, of what happens in this uh, section of Scripture. 
Jesus has just been sentenced to death. And he's taken and he's, he's mocked and beaten by the Roman battalion. And then he's led away to be crucified outside the city. Uh, crucifixion, execution by being uh, affixed to a cross. is a, a horrible, horrific way to die. Then it describes how Jesus hung on the cross for hours and hours while he was taunted by both the Roman guards and, uh, and the Jewish leadership. And then we hear some of his words from the cross where he cries out to God, Why have you forsaken me? Imagine this on the lips of, of Jesus. And then we hear of his final cry and his dramatic uh, death when he breathes his last breath. And then we read of, of Joseph of Arimathea uh, coming and, and asking for um, his corpse and that he might uh, bury him in his tomb and given that, and given that um, permission. And then it ends with, with following some of the women followers of Jesus who, who followed him all the way to the tomb and saw where he was laid and saw the tomb sealed. That, that's what takes place in this section of, of Mark uh, 15, which is the grand climax of this whole book. It's the grand paradox. It's where everything comes together. It looks like total defeat, and it is total uh, victory. It's also terrible. It's also sad. It's also unfair, you know, the, the just being condemned to die. So why should the cross overwhelm us with gratitude? First of all, we should thank God for the genius of the cross. It's a plan we could never have concocted. His plan was so mind-boggling, even when he explained it, his followers didn't get it. You know, multiple times he said this is coming, and, then, and they just kind of scratched their heads, and uh, oh, then when it happened, they were so surprised, and it just did not fit their expectations. Um, his followers wanted this victorious leader, to throw off the impression, oppression of Rome, to show his power. It's the same way we think. We want God to show up, show him who's in charge, put our enemies in their place, and conquer through might. But God, God's way is always better. His shed blood on the cross was a better idea than any of our ideas. I, I love how the author of Hebrews puts it. it says, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word, you know, it's a better idea than the blood of Abel. We think victory comes through power, but Jesus shows us that victory comes through sacrifice. Victory comes through, through love. It's maybe counterintuitive. In the centuries that followed uh, this event, uh, Christians have have uh, pondered and milled over and discussed the implications of the cross. And uh, I think we're still discovering how genius of a plan this was of God's. It's really the only way that the, the, the wrath of God could be satisfied and that there could be an appropriate um, offering and, and all these things. It accomplished so much. It's a plan that we would have never figured out. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, um, the, the word of the cross, it, it's folly to those who are perishing. The, those who have not trusted Christ, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, that, that seems like a terrible idea. To die, to win. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let that just kind of roll 
over you. <laughs> let, that, let that overwhelm you. Wow, the, the genius of the cross. God's ideas are always so much better than ours. It's a plan we could never have concocted. We'd never dream up the cross because it looks like such a miserable failure. It looks like a sad uh, waste. And it would have been. <laughs> it would have been a sad waste if it didn't have a purpose. And we're given a big hint, or not more than a hint, we're given an explanation from Jesus himself of what the purpose is. The cross was for something, or more specifically, it was for someone. Jesus prepared his disciples just before this, the night before at the Last Supper, when he instituted a communion, the Lord's Supper, that we'll celebrate in a, in a few moments. He, he said this to his disciples. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is for what? For you. The cross had a purpose. It was for something. It was for someone, and that someone is you. And so as we kind of skim through uh, this passage and see what Jesus endured, keep in mind all the way through that this was for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he did this for you. So thank God for the sacrifice of the cross, a horror that we could never endure. I think each and every one of us would have caved at what he faced uh, willingly. The cross was not just a sad thing that happened. It happened for those who love and follow Jesus. And so what exactly did he endure? We'll, we'll look at several things that were involved in the, in the passion in his, in his facing the cross. Um, I, I'm not going to uh, sensationalize it and try to describe the, you know, the, the scientific details of the horror of, of a crucifixion. Um, you could just imagine that. We're not given those kinds of details. But I think as we read through this, we'll realize that what Jesus faced in his final hours all that he faced, it really sums up all the hard things that we ever face. <laughs> and so as we look at these things, I want you to think about two things and give thanks for two things. One is that Jesus understands experientially the categories of trials you face. Um, I'd like you to go somewhere in your mind for just a moment, and that is... Um, just briefly think about some of the most difficult things that you have faced, you know, that life has thrown at you, that you've, you've gone through or encountered. And I want you to think that alongside of what Jesus willingly endured for you and to give thanks. And second, Jesus looked at horror in the face and he embraced it for you. And we give thanks for that. So what did Jesus embrace as he went toward the cross? Um, well, leading up to the cross in the chapter before, we see that uh, Jesus was betrayed by a loved one. Have you ever been betrayed by a loved one? Verse uh, 10 of the previous chapter says, Judas Iscariot, who is one of the 12, one of Jesus' closest buddies, one of his, his inner circle, he went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. 
You ever been betrayed by a close friend or a spouse or maybe abandoned by a parent or maybe rejected by your own children? He was, he was betrayed. And we just say, thank you, Jesus, for looking at betrayal in the face and just walking forward for my sake. Thank you, Jesus. Not just betrayed, but he was forsaken toward the end of chapter 14, verse 50. It simply says this little statement, they all left him and fled. Here, Jesus, he stands alone. Have you ever had those close to you leave <laughs> or, or taken away? Maybe through death, maybe through a custody battle, maybe through rebellion, and that feeling like I- I'm the only one left here. They- they've all gone. Jesus was forsaken for you and for me. And he was also falsely accused, uh, verse 56 of the previous chapter. It says simply, for many bore false witness against him. Maybe as you thought about terrible things that have happened to you, and I, I don't want to just you know, drag your mind through about that, but just to consider what Jesus did for you. Maybe when you think about the things that have happened to you, maybe you've been slandered. Maybe you've been misrepresented. Maybe you've been wrongfully accused, and that's, that's kind of ruined your life. False accusations, been misunderstood. Jesus just stood in the face of that, and, uh, and he remained uh, largely silent. And then we get to today's passage, uh, starting in verse 16 of, of chapter 15. It starts out like this. It says, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. This whole battalion of Roman soldiers surrounding Jesus, we see how he was helplessly outnumbered. He's the, the lamb going to the slaughter <laughs> uh, in the midst of you know, all these, all these soldiers uh, surrounding him. You ever been bullied or outnumbered? The victim of mob violence? Maybe you've been a religious minority in your, your workplace. Maybe you've been a, an ethnic minority and been, been outnumbered in that way. He's helplessly outnumbered. And he walked right into that for you. And we just say, thank you, Jesus, for not turning away. The next verse is 17, 18 says, They clothed him in a purple cloak. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews, making a big mockery of him. His, his uh, accusation that was in the, in the secular courts was that he was making himself out to be the king of the Jews. And so they taunted him, put a, put a robe on him and put a fake crown on him and just uh, abused him and, and ridiculed him and teased him, real sarcastic. Hey, hail, king of the Jews, as if you're the king of the Jews. You ever been mocked? <laughs> they say sticks and stones, but, uh, but words really do cut. Words do hurt. Been mocked in school, in the workplace, been mocked at home. And then next, he was spitefully abused. Verse 19, they kept striking his head with a reed, and they were spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. I mean, the physical abuse and then just the 
just the utter disgust of being spit on in the in the face. Just it's just horrible. He looked at that and just pressed forward <laughs> for you. He's humiliated, verse uh, verse twenty. When they had mocked him, then they stripped him of his purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. So in a, in a public place, in front of the crowds, they ripped off all his clothes, and they put on this robe just to make fun of him, and then they ripped that back off, and they put his clothes back on, all, all in front of the crowds, just totally humiliated oh, the Son of God, <laughs> someone who had done no wrong, deserved none of this. Maybe you've been publicly humiliated. Maybe you've been exposed. Maybe people posted things on social media that you didn't want posted. Maybe people told secrets about you that were never supposed to be told. You were humiliated. He, he took that on himself. And ultimately, he was left to die. Uh, verse 24 says, and they crucified him. This little phrase that describes a whole horrific, uh, long process that took uh, hours and, and actually days usually on the cross. Mark doesn't describe the process, but we know it's a slow, agonizing death. Um, I just can't imagine uh, what that feels like. You just know how this is going to end, and there's nothing you could do about it, and, and you just hang there. And I know that some of you have gotten news like that. It's like, well, this is going to end poorly for you. And you just have to wait it out and face that. Jesus just walked into that and, and faced it. And then he was plundered. <laughs> At the end of that verse, they divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Uh, consider how this was, more than likely, his only possessions. <laughs> so, Consider everything that you own spread before you, and people, you know, casting, you know, rolling dice like, oh, I'll take that. I'll take, I'll take his car. I'll take this thing. I'll take all those, you know, his book collection. I'll take, you know, whatever things you might have. Picture all of your things before you, hands tied while people are just divvying it up and taking it. I don't know if you've ever been, you know, have been robbed or, or uh, lost something to a, to a disaster. I think about the people in the fires that just, Poof, just in a matter of hours, everything they had is just, it's just gone. To have this ripped away by, by force or by trickery, they're, they're just rolling dice for his, his possessions. Um, I, I know nothing of this. We, we had a car stolen once out of our, our driveway in Escondido. Just kind of a, that sickening feeling when you get up, you're like, oh, I thought I parked there. Wait, maybe I didn't. Wait a minute. The car's just gone. But, um, but it was... It was honestly a, a small loss because the car, I don't know, it had not that many miles left in it, but, um, but it's still that sickening feeling. But imagine that was all your stuff at once. That's what he endured. Then verse 29 says, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. He was derided. <laughs> Ever been looked at with disgust? Ever been an outcast? Ever been excluded? Ever been labeled? And like, oh, we don't want to do, have anything to do with you. Has that ever been part of your experience? And then the unbelievable happens. This sense of abandonment by God. 
it's hard for us to piece together even how Jesus can experience that. But he did. Verse 34 says, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, if we take the whole uh, rest of the New Testament, several of the New Testament writers kind of uh, expand our understanding of all that happened in that moment, which is, which is rich and, and powerful and, and unfathomable. But it seems like in Mark's uh, purposes here, he just wants us to know that Jesus suffered the abandonment of God the Father in that moment. And the only reason he did that was for you and for me. Maybe you felt a little touch of that where just the moment you think you need God most and you, you feel like there's a disconnect and you're praying and you don't really you know, hear a response or you don't sense his presence and you just feel like you're left to be on your own here. That's a, that's a terrible feeling. The Son of God walked into that for you. So Jesus willingly embraced all these things. He looked at the cross and just walked forward for you and for me. Uh, Again, in Hebrews, this is New Living Translation, uh, Hebrews 12, 2, because of the joy that awaited him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Compared with his love for you, all that stuff he endured, he, he disregarded that and just moved forward toward the cross. So our overwhelming response thinking of these things is not like, oh, how sad, or, or oh, they were so wrong to do that. But our overwhelming response should be, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice of the cross. It's a horror that we could never endure. Jesus endured the cross for you. But it was not just a display of love for you, although it was a display of love. God demonstrated his love toward us. How? In that Christ died for us. It was not just an example of sacrifice, although it was an example of sacrifice. Philippians 2 says, have the same attitude uh, Christ did, who, who emptied himself even to the point of death on the cross. So it, it's, a, it's a display of love. It's an example of sacrifice. But the cross actually accomplish something. (laughs) Something happened there for us that was more than a display, more than an example. It actually accomplished something. And so, as we consider uh, Jesus' Jesus' death on our behalf, we thank God for the result of the cross. It's a result we could have never accomplished. He did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. Again, if we read the rest of the New Testament, we could see different theological implications of the cross. But even if we just took Mark's account, the narrative that we have before us, we could look back to uh, chapter 10, verse 45, where we get a, um, a glimpse into the whole meaning of what happened on the cross. Where it says, uh, this Jesus' words, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. His death on the cross was a ransom for many. Because people are trapped 
People are perishing. People are slaves to sin and death. We're, we're stuck. We're held hostage. And Jesus' death on the cross accomplished salvation and forgiveness for those who are perishing. Jesus came speaking a message of salvation and of forgiveness. And the interesting thing we see throughout the whole book is all the people that uh, felt like in their own righteousness they were, you know, getting by, they had no uh, need or no uh, interest in Jesus' message. A message of salvation and forgiveness when you don't know you need rescuing or forgiven is, uh, just flies right over your head. But for those who knew they needed a Savior and knew they needed forgiveness, they hung on Jesus' every word. And that's what was accomplished on the cross, forgiveness and salvation. And so we come and we thank God for the result of the cross. And honestly, this is just one of many (laughs) results of the cross. It's a result that we could never accomplish. We could never save ourselves. We can never, you know, forgive ourselves, pardon ourselves for the debt that, that we've incurred against a, a holy, almighty God. And so Jesus did it for us. He did it on the cross. So as we've been considering what we're thankful for, I, I hope that list is long. If we think very hard, we can make a long list of what we're thankful for. This place we live, <laughs> um, this, this family here uh, at First Baptist, um, just the little, little gifts of, you know, of good food and, and beautiful sunsets and wh- whatever it might be that you're just really grateful for. At the top of that list should be, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. You looked at the, the horror of all that and you just kept walking forward um, with, with us in mind. And that should overwhelm us with thanks. If you make a list of counting your blessings, the very top of the list should be the cross. Uh, Our challenge is just real simple today, and that's just give thanks for the cross. That should just be on the tip of our minds and the tip of our tongues. Just say, thank you, thank you, above all else, for your death on our behalf. When you wake up, when you sing, (laughs) when you eat, When you drink, remember and give thanks. You might know in some traditions, um, communion is called uh, the Eucharist. (laughs) It's from from the Greek word eucharisto, which means uh, to give thanks. And it comes from uh, from Mark 14, 23, when describes Jesus when he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank it. Something horrible Jesus is about to face, and he gives thanks. <laughs> and, and so should we. So as we come to the table today, may that be predominant on your mind. I'd like to invite uh, those who are helping serve communion to go ahead and come forward. You can put your, put your notes and stuff away as we prepare to, um, to come to the Lord's table together and observe communion. And the focus today, as it should always be, is, is thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jesus, for, for what you did on our behalf. As, as you eat, give thanks. As you drink, give thanks. As we remember, we give thanks. So let me, uh, let me give thanks right now. 
Lord Jesus, you are, are everything to us. We can get distracted by a lot of things. We can get um, riled up by a lot of things. But at the end of the day, we owe our, our lives and eternity to you. And so we give thanks. We give thanks for what, um, what was done for us, what was accomplished, the benefits on our behalf. But we also give thanks for just what you endured for us. What great love you have. Not, not a theoretical love only, but, but a love that was put into action in the most tangible, horrible, and beautiful way for us. And so as we um, take these elements, as we eat the, the wafer, as we, we drink the cup, Lord, remind us of all that you've done and just draw us to give thanks. And it's... Um, Because of all this and because of your precious name and by your power, we pray these things. Amen.